If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Matthew. Last week we talked about woe to the woe. And we didn't get finished. And this time the Lord just expounded some things. And so uh, some of it will be passing in review real quick, but uh, there's only 10 pages of notes. So we'll be good. We'll be good today. I will probably stick close to my notes today simply because I don't want to encroach time too much. So Matthew, the 18th chapter, I'm going to start with the first verse. We're going to read down to the seventh verse. If, uh, <clears throat> if you're reading in the King James, uh, I'm reading in the Amplified today. Normally I read King James, but today I'm going to use the Amplified. It's a little word here, but it gives the Greek implication behind uh, each word that's given to us. So, chapter 18, at that time, the disciples came up and asked Jesus, who then is really the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to himself, and he put him in the midst of them, and said, truly I say unto you, unless you repent, change, turn about, and become like little children. Some of you ladies are going, my husband's already there. I could feel it. I had to say it like little children, trusting, lowly, loving, forgiving. You can never enter the kingdom of heaven at all. I'm going to let that hang in the air for just a minute. Whoever will humble himself, therefore, and become like this little child, trusting, lowly, loving, forgiving, is the greatest in the kingdom of of heaven. And whoever receives and accepts and welcomes one little child like this for my sake and in my name receives and accepts and welcomes me. But whoever causes one of these little ones, now this isn't speaking just solely about children, but primarily about children, but it's talking about those who've repented and are young in the things of the Lord and haven't matured yet to the fullness of faith. We must be careful not to cause them problems. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in and acknowledges to cleave to me to stumble and sin, that is, who entices him or hinders him or her in right conduct or thought, it would be better more expedient and profitable or advantageous for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be sunk in the depth of the sea. That is some serious language. We're really good at preaching the, the, the 70s peace sign around his neck, Jesus, who scratches dogs and pats little children on the head, but we often now in this day and age have watered the gospel down to where we don't talk about the fact that he's also a judging God. Oh, come on. And do you, can, I give you a, can I give you a clue about judgment? Do you know that God doesn't necessarily exact judgment on you? You do it. You bring it on yourself if you do not Abide by his law, by his word. Oh, man, I got the whole room upset at me. Now I feel rocks. The parking lot has no rocks left. I can feel it. Verse 7. Woe 
to the world for such temptations to sin and influence to do wrong. It is necessary that temptation comes. We're all going to be tempted. But woe to the person on whose account by whom the temptation comes. Then he goes into the whole discourse. It would be better to cut things off and enter in maimed than to cause someone to stumble. We'll get to that. Father, we magnify you for your word today. Father, I'm human, and I'm flawed, and I can make mistakes. Holy Spirit, I ask you to help me to speak your truth in the spirit of your truth, in, in a right dividing of the word. Help me, Father, to help all of us in this room, in this message. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. If you're visiting today, come back next week. We'll have a happy message. <laughs> but today I'm going to skin the devil. I'm going to skin him. I'm going to scald him. I'm going to tear him up today. Are you ready? All right. So just prior to this, the disciples have seen Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They have seen him become in his former state in the glory of God. They have seen him get counsel from Moses and Elijah. And they're looking at him and recognizing who he is. And so they've just, three of them have just had one major revelation. He's more than just a man. Mm. And then after that, they got in a situation where they were trying to use his authority to cast out a demon, and they didn't do so well, and so they kind of got a little correction from the master. And then he sent Peter to go pay taxes by going fishing first. And so he went out and went fishing. That made Christian really happy right there. <laughs> by the way, I'm going fishing with you. If, there's any, if you find any coins when you're fishing, I want to be with you, man. <laughs> all the time. Every time you open up a fish mouth, you got one of the wildest miracles in the Bible is that Jesus sent Peter to fish because the temple tax needed to be paid. And they had a little discussion about how that really wasn't something that should be done. But because it was the fulfillment of the law, Jesus said, go and do. And then when you get that coin out of that fish's mouth, go pay my temple tax and yours as well. Mm, that's my God. He's always paying my way. Slap your neighbor a high five if you believe that God's always paying your way. Mm. So they've just come through that. They've had the lessons of transfiguration and dealing with demons, and it's all fresh on their mind. With the lesson of wrong behavior by the church, the disciples ask, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Thinking the answer will be them. Huh? Because it's a new movement. And, and Jesus has come to correct that which is wrong, and they're siding with him, and they've got grandiose visions in their mind of how they're going to topple the systems that be and set up a system that will be recognized worldwide. Well, they were right. They just didn't have the right heart 
about it. Who can say amen to that? So, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They're thinking it's them because they're with Jesus and not the hypocritical church. But Jesus answers them with an illustrated sermon. He takes a child and sets him in the in, in this midst of them, and then he says, look at this child. Here's what we need to understand, that if we're going to live out the kingdom, how many understand the first message of Jesus was the kingdom of God is at hand? Because Jesus is the kingdom. And so... He says, the kingdom is at hand. And so that was his first message. And now he's reiterating that message to the disciples. And he says, if you're trusting and lowly and loving and forgiving, you're setting yourself up. But the first prerequisite is repentance, a turning from who you've been and what you've done and where you've been and coming to him into the fullness. And if you let him sell out lock, stock, and barrel to him, and then develop the kind of character that's trusting, lowly, not thinking too much of yourself, loving and forgiving, then you're setting yourself up to be successful in God's kingdom and for use in helping other people who can say amen to that. And those who receive others uh, in the same spirit as a child in my name with my heart will find the Messiah. But whoever leads a child or a childlike believer into temptation needs to be drowned in the deepest part of the sea, weighed down and never to reemerge. Some of you are going, is that in the Bible? It is. So last week we discussed woe, and woe is the grief groan of God. The grief groan of God as he executes judgment. How many have ever read where Jesus resurrected Lazarus? And when he resurrected Lazarus, he groaned in his spirit before he pronounced life. In this case, in that case, he was groaning because his heart of compassion was for those who were mourning a loss. And his heart was grieved. And he says, there's only one way to stop this. Lazarus, come here. But in this case, this is a groaning because God has to do something his heart does not want to do. Let that soak in for a minute. So, whoa, when anytime you see W-O-E, anytime you see that, it is the grief groan of God as he executes judgment. Jesus is teaching this, and when he's teaching this, he's saying, whoa, pay attention. Pay attention so that we don't grieve the heart of God and you lose out in the kingdom. He's warning the disciples. <laughs> He's warning the disciples. Boys, you're thinking about, you've got your mind 
on becoming something. You've got your mind on promotion. You've got your mind just like the church that we're here preaching to try to turn in repentance. You think that the hierarchy and positioning yourself is important. And Jesus is telling them that grieves the heart of the Father. Because it's not about you. The kingdom of God is not about what we get. It's about who he is. And it's about how we represent who he is. Yes, he has saved us. Yes, he has changed us. I'm not the scrubby little spider I used to be. I'm now a born-again child of the Most High God. I am a considered the Son of God. I am seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I have all of the opulence of heaven waiting on me when I finish my race here and am translated there. I don't even care about streets of gold. I don't care about mansions, but I do do care that I'm going to stand face to face with the one who made my life, took it from shambles to victory. I want to be with the one who keeps me from victory unto victory unto victory unto victory. And I don't want to bring grief to the heart of Father God. I don't want this walk to be about me. I want it to be solely about him so that he can fill a stadium like the one we just saw over at Arrowhead. I want to see that place filled. I want to see Kaufman filled. I want it to be filled till this region can never be the same under the power of God that unsuspecting lives are changed forevermore. And if I keep doing that, we'll never get done. <laughs> Whoo. So Jesus is telling them, woe to the one who leads a child or an innocent person into a temptation that leads them away from the kingdom or away from Jesus. There's nothing that grieves the heart of God more than for someone who once walked into his mercy and his goodness and his grace to suddenly willfully reject it. I felt that with every fiber of my being. I felt that. <laughs> Woe to the one. Woe. The grief groan of God is set against you if you harm one of these. What's he telling the disciples? If you go the way of the status quo church, of the first century, you are going to lead people away from God, not to him. Much like the children of Israel, when they stood at Mount Sinai, they backed away when they should have ran up the mountain into the presence of God. They backed away and said, Moses, why are there pastors in front of a church in 2022 because the church as a whole backed up from God's presence. And God said, well, if you want a man, I'll give you a man, but it's not the best. 
He's still using that system today. But the beauty is he's now filled us with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that every one of us can climb the mountain. If we want to climb the mountain into the presence of God, you, you are victorious today because you have the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you. Would you guys quit this? I can't get going. So look at this. <laughs> the one who leads a child or innocent person into a temptation that leads them away from the kingdom or Jesus is doomed. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the devil is doomed. <laughs> He's coming after you, right? He's doomed. He's doomed. He's doomed. Do you know he's already been judged? It's over for him. There is no repentance. That's why he's working so hard against the church and against believers because it's over for him and he wants to destroy the kingdom of God and bring it to its knees. And he delights when someone backs away from the truth of the gospel. That's why the generation in which we live need the message more than any other generation that there's still a God. He's still on the throne and he's still saving people today. Man, well, that was pretty good for those. And I'll be, I'll be nice, ladies and gentlemen. The devil has it coming, but doomed is any soul whose purpose or purposefully leads someone else into the trap of sin. Now, listen closely to me. I'm not saying that if you have led people in your past into sin that you cannot be redeemed. I'm not saying that if tomorrow you walked out of here and led someone into sin that you cannot be redeemed. As long as you're drawing a breath and the Holy Ghost is in the earth, we can be redeemed. But if we live unrepentant, if we stay willful about our rejection of Christ, then a woe will be pronounced over to us. And in verse 6, Matthew writes, Woe to the world. Think about that. Think about our mission, ladies and gentlemen. Woe to the world. Woe to the world. Has it set in yet? Your neighbors are doomed. Some of our loved ones are doomed. Woe to the world. Woe to the world. It's not like that 70s song. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Come on. If you don't know, that was a drug reference song way back in the day about sucking poison out of a frog. Boy, isn't that exciting. Joy to the world. But that's not what God has pronounced here. Jesus said, woe 
to the world. Why do you think he moved in such compassion? He understood the judgment the world is going to fall under if he doesn't complete his mission. Ladies and gentlemen, he completed his mission and then handed the mission to us. I don't know if that excites you, but that does me. Woe to the world because judgment awaits. And those who refuse the cross, refuse the sacrifice, and refuse the grace, and refuse the way of escape. Those who refuse the blood await a doom reserved for the treasonous. For treason was the birth of the original sin beginning with Lucifer. When one-third of the angelic host turned their back on God Almighty and then brought it to the garden to try it out on man. And we've been battling that dog ever since. The Bible calls him a snake. Ain't nothing gives me the creeps worse than a snake. I'll fight a spider any day over a snake. If you play with snakes, you're weird. You're just weird. There's a natural enmity. There's a natural warfare between a man and a snake. That's what the word says. But listen, as serious as what I'm saying is, for us to reject, for the world to reject, all that awaits them is the groaning of the master when he has to pronounce judgment. Oh, but the story doesn't end there. Like lightning, like lightning, Satan was cast from his position in God's service to everlasting doom and punishment in the fires of hell. Some of you heard me. Like lightning, pow, Satan was cast from his position in God's service to everlasting doom and punishment in the fires of hell. And although he's still tempting and still deceiving, woe has already been pronounced upon him and the angels who followed him forever bound in chains of darkness. That means they have no capacity left in them and no room for God. They can never again know his peace, his truth, his purity, his awesomeness. They can never again do anything favorable in the sight of God. They are forever shut out. And the only reward is to spend the eons of eternity in everlasting, never-ending torment. The thing that grieves me the most is they are working around the clock to influence the hearts and the minds of men to follow them. Woe to demons, for you have grieved the heart of God. And woe to the person by whom temptation comes. Jesus in the Gospels called the church of his time the children of the devil. Anyone who alters the truth of God's word for their own purposes or gain is guilty of treason. Is this too hard? Mm -hmm. 
Who's got Hebrews? Pull up Hebrews, the sixth chapter, the first and through the sixth verse. First person to get it, shout out loud. Hebrews 6, 1 through 6. Got it? Therefore, let us get past the elementary stage in the teachings about the Christ, advancing on to maturity and perfection and spiritual completeness, without laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of teaching about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. These are all important matters in which you should have been proficient long ago, and we will do this if God permits, for it is possible to restore to repent, for it is impossible to restore to repentance those who have once been enlightened and who have tested and consciously experienced the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted and consciously experienced the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. It is impossible to bring them back again to repentance since they again nail the Son of God on the cross as they are concerned for as far as they are concerned they are treating the death of christ as if they were not saved by it and are holding him up again to public disgrace that's the word that's not my thought that's god's thought now listen i'm not here to make anyone feel bad that's not the point today we're not there i pray that you're not there and if you are you can repent. Well, look at this. According to what we just heard, a willful act of sin will nullify the work of the cross for that person who wants to put Christ to an open shame. Now, let me explain. This isn't about a momentary slip. This isn't about making a mistake. This isn't about having difficulty overcoming a sin in your life. This is a willful act that I know the truth, but I don't care. I'm going to do it my way. Are you still with me? Have I lost anyone? Do we need oxygen? Un <laughs> Unless repentance returns to them, they can spend the remainder of their life apart from God. But it's an act of their will. But here's the beauty. Repentance is an act of human will. God cannot forgive your sin and turn your path unless your heart says, that's what I need from you. Please let me step into your grace and turn my heart and my allegiance around, and I will live for you. All right, is everybody okay? Yeah. See, we don't want to be like Samson, not knowing that we're in a mess. Yeah. 
coming out to do the mighty work of God, but while we're dabbling and doing a little something on the side and playing around and sleeping around with harlots and being all partied up, you know, I, I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just being honest with you. You can't live with one foot in the kingdom and one foot out. You must be all the way into the kingdom, loving him, going for him, allowing him to be your God at every moment, every juncture of the day, wherever you find yourself, you're sold out, lock, stock, and barrel. But Samson found himself in a mess, and he came out to do a mighty exploit for God, and he shook himself only to find the power of God wasn't there. The only hope to change a woe is repentance. But unfortunately, there are those individuals who will enjoy the game of half-hearted Christianity. Those who delight in seeing how close to the line they can live and still feel they're okay. Are you all with me? Have I lost anyone? First Timothy, the fourth chapter, the first through the second verse says this. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith. In other words, they were insiders. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. I could name you some pastors who now in my book are heretical. They've lost the preciousness of the relationship of Christ, chasing after weird, goofy doctrines that have nothing to do with kingdom living and wrapping their arms around sinful things that God calls an abomination, but they say it's acceptable. Come and we'll love on you. They're more interested in nickels and noses than they are the word of God. Mm. This describes believers who have chose to listen to the spirit of the world and not the Holy Spirit. And if they do this long enough without repentance, true genuine repentance, they have their conscience cut off and they lose their ability to repent. I know this is heavy. Romans 1.18, Paul says... The wrath of God is revealed from heaven, a holy, righteous indignation. No one escapes this who won't revere God. Because he's placed enough evidence in our power, in his power, might, and intention toward man in creation so that no one has an excuse. Those who know the truth, that there is a God who is righteous, but who choose him not and worship other things, even to the perverse worship of sexual attraction and the perverse of sexual practice on same gender sex. Too many people are too timid to say it. I'm not here 
to make the world happy. I'm here to call the world to repentance. For the worship of animals and stars and people of prominence, they'll worship anything but God. Being vain in their imaginations, they dream up things to please themselves and have had their hearts darkened. They're inventing things that I can't go into. There's young people in here and they're influential and I wouldn't. But if this room was just solely adults, I would rip this thing open big. Romans 1.26 says, For this cause... God gave them up to vile affections. Who are we talking about? Those who were once born again, who now have chosen their own way. To those who have never been regenerated and are listening to the God of this world alone. He let them have their way and he stopped convicting them. He turned them over to do whatever dark thing they wanted to do. And for anyone who agrees with them and takes pleasure in their depravity, they receive the reward of death. That's scripture. Look it up. Matthew 18 and 8 says, if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your foot offends you, cut it off. Better to enter lame than to be thrown into everlasting fire. Now, don't anyone hack something off today. I don't want to see hands and feet and eyeballs laying all over this house. The message, someone said, oh, come on. The message is get free from the sin that keeps pulling you away from God. Cut it off. Cut it out. A friend of mine just recently made the final decision that the devil's not going to tempt me with my old addiction. And I... And he called me, and I watched on the phone as he smashed his past into obliteration. And I stood there, and I cheered as I saw the heart change in a mighty man of God who was held by one last thing. He couldn't quite get into the fullness of the light. That one last thing holding his ankle, but he smashed it that night, and every chain snapped, and now he's a mighty man of God. And the devil has no idea how much headache he's in for. The message is to get free from the things that pull us away from God. Church, let Christ deliver you. Cut the world's influence out of your life. For you are in the world, but you are not of the world. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed or molded into the world's image. John 15, 19, I chose you out of this world. That's why the world hates you. John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. 
1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. If we choose the world, if we are half-hearted, if we're loose with our associations or our influence of this world that is contrary to the mercy and grace of God through Christ Jesus, we doom ourselves. But Matthew 18, 9 says, if we won't cut off the iniquity of this world, we shame Christ and choose in our hearts to join murderers like they did at Pilate's Hall, saying, give us the spirit of a murderer, but crucify the Messiah. We don't want to change, so give us the most sinful, deplorable leader you can find because we don't want to change. Crucify Jesus. I, I, I shudder when I say this, but it's in my notes. I'm going to finish it. I don't want him. Lord, you know better. If we refuse to cut off the world, we live in danger of hellfire. I'm just going to tell the truth. I won't be popular. My face, you'll see my face showing up on dark boards all over the nation. If we live in danger of hellfire, if we won't cut off the world, I'm almost done. What time is it? I'm five minutes past. Can you hang on just one, one more minute? Look at this. That word hell there is the word Gehenna. It's a valley southwest of Jerusalem. Originally, it was a place where children were burned in sacrifice to the Ammonite god Moloch. Jesus is using imagery that the disciples understand. Look at this. At the time that Jesus is giving this, every Jew knew the history. Because if they learned anything, if they've ever learned anything, it's to throw away idolatry. Look at this. That was the original thing that happened in that valley. But during the time of Christ, Gehenna was a garbage dump. And they made it a garbage dump so that no one would ever go back and repeat the sins of the former generations. But here's what Jesus is telling them. It was a garbage dump of foul-smelling trash and rubbish filled with maggots and flies and disgusting putrid debris that had to be burned to keep it from spreading disease. And that's the imagery that Jesus gives us to show what waits the world in the woe of God. A sacrifice to the God they have chose where humanity is given over to their God. A deplorable stench of human garbage filled with flesh-destroying worms and fire just so God can stomach it. Woe, the judgment of grief. So today, let's examine ourselves. Let's seek deliverance. Let's not tempt anyone else with any sinful practice. Let's be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
And let's not forget our neighbors who are headed for God's woe. Father, we magnify you. We glorify you. We give you honor. We give you praise. We thank you for this message today. As sobering as it is, Father, it's something that the church needs to go back and pay attention to because the time that we have left, Father, has not, we, we don't have time, Father, now to waste. There's no time to waste because there's a world that is about to fall into judgment. There are those who once were insiders who are now outsiders who need to hear the message of Jesus Christ before it's everlastingly too late so they can make a conscious decision to come in or to walk away but God our job is to present the message and we need you father like never before Austin if you could give me some keyboard for just a second I know our time is being encroached but I will not be derelict in what God has called me to do. If you're here today, something in this message says, I hear you. God's waiting on you. He doesn't want for there to be a woe in your life. God is a God of mercy. He doesn't like judgment, but we, if we align with Satan, if we align with the God of this world, if we act like the, the God of this world, if we worship the God of this world, then he has no choice because we choose judgment. This generation has no, how do I want to say it? This generation has no absolutes this generation have no true heroes this generation have split families and broken situations and this generation needs to hear the truth that we must come out from among them and be separate that is the heart of Father God. That's why Jesus came, that we wouldn't all die in a treasonous death that we didn't ask for in the first place. His mercy and His grace is extended until the sounding of the final trump of God before judgment is exacted upon the world. And right now, we're living in the mercy line of God. We're living in the mercy age of God. He wants us. He desires us. He loved us first. He created us to be. And He's wooing us back to Him. He's loving us back. He's calling us back. He's desiring us back to Him. If you feel His tugging on your heart today, if you sense God's wooing, if you sense something inside of you going, yes, yes, 
Yes. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, would you just signify by lifting your hand and saying, pray with me, Pastor. Pray with me. Yes, thank you. Pray with me, Pastor. Pray with me. I want to know you as you are. Yes. 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 Father, we thank you. We thank you. Father, I pray for these right now whose hands are raised. Father, these faces, these hands that I see know you. They've asked you to be the Lord of their life, I know. But they're sensing, Father, today a deeper dedication to their walk with you. Father, I ask, Lord, right now, grant to these individuals your mercy, your grace, and help them to understand, Lord, that a simple repentance changes everything. We thank you, Lord. If you're streaming today or watching me by television or listening by radio, in this moment, you can make an everlasting change in your life. All it takes is the right heart that says, God, I want you more than I want my way. I want you more. I want to follow you. I want you to be the Lord of my life forevermore. I will turn over my life the best that I can to you and allow you to take up residency on the inside of me and set on the throne of my heart and there become the Lord of my life and I will read your word. I will come to know you. I will give you my all. I will worship you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.